You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning again. I want to say good morning to you. Hope you're doing well. I want to have a quick look at God's word in a moment. But I want to start off by just making one observation. There is pretty well in every culture, in every part of the world, this idea that we could have all of our wishes granted. Or even that we could have one wish granted. Here in Ireland, it's a leprechaun who would grant you a wish if he was to appear out of the woods or out of the ditch one day when you were out walking. If you bumped into a leprechaun, according to Irish ancient tradition, if you met one, he would have to grant you a wish. And not only that wish would be to do with your greatest heart's desire. I want to look at that today, and I want to look at that idea of your greatest heart's desire being granted. But I want to look at it, not in the context of uh, Irish tradition or some other culture's tradition, or the crossing of fingers, or the crossing of feet, or the, or, or, or the whistling past the graveyard, or whatever part of the country you want to take. I want to look at it from the biblical context. There is an English comedian, his name is John Fillmore. And he wrote a fabulous comedic sketch about somebody who rubs a lantern and, and a genie appears. And the genie says, I'm honor bound to grant you one wish, so make sure you make it a very good wish if you can. And he said, here's a little hint. I've done this hundreds and hundreds of times. If I was you, I'd wish for something simple, like a house, or maybe a nice car, like a Maserati or an Aston Martin. Just wish for something simple. And the person says, no, 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 but I want to wish for world peace. And I want to be a better self. And the genie says, look, I'll be honest with you. If I was you, I'd go with the car. It's a lot simpler. Uh, it's a lot less complicated. Because the minute you start asking to make yourself a better person, you could be asking for your circumstances to change to cause that to, to come about. That's not the kind of wishing I'm talking about. I want to look today at the story of a man who was given the offer of a lifetime by God himself. And we'll be looking in a few seconds at 2 Chronicles chapter 1. And just to bring you up to date on that, we're going to be looking at Solomon. Now Solomon had just inherited the throne of his father David. And David, of course, had been a great king. He had advanced the kingdom of God. He had advanced the worship of God within the Israel, Israelite nation at the time. And Solomon's son took over, and Solomon was God's man to take over. God had specifically instructed that Solomon would be the one who would continue the legacy of of David. So he has just taken over the throne, his father has died, and he goes up and he makes a number of big sacrifices at a place called Gibeon. He makes a lot of sacrifices to honor God and to begin the process of honoring God or to continue the worship of God in the way that his father David had done. And that's where we're about to pick up the story. He's just done all of the sacrifices and then he has an encounter with God shortly after these events. May God bless us as we read his word this morning. May he speak to us and get through to our hearts and souls, I pray, in Jesus' name. Let's have a look at what happened next. This is the stuff of dreams. Here we go. That night, this is the 2nd Chronicles chapter 1, God appeared to Solomon and said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it you. This is a vision or a dream that he has. He has a dream. It's called a dream in the book of Kings. Here we go. He has this thing and the Lord says to him, what 
do you want? And that's the question I'd like you to hold before your own mind throughout today's message. The question, what do you want? In fact, if you have a piece of paper near you or to hand, or if you can go get one easily enough, go and get a piece of paper and write down the question, what do you want? Because that was the question that God asked Solomon. And he gave him a promise with it. Ask and I will give it to you. Now you might think, ah, this is a trick question. God had something in mind or something up his sleeve. But we see no evidence whatsoever that this was a trick question. What we do see is God wanting to show his favor to Solomon in accordance with what he said he would do when he spoke to David about Solomon inheriting the kingdom, inheriting the throne. What do you want, he asked the question. And when I read that question, and when I read that question, that's a question, if you think about it for a while, cuts right to the heart of who we are. It cuts right to the bottom of the deepest desires we have. If the simple answer to it is, I'd like a Maserati, well then, maybe you need to think more deeply about the question. Solomon was being asked in the context that God wanted to do for Solomon what he wanted, because Solomon is God's chosen king. What do you want me to do for you? Ask and I will give it to you. And so we get to Solomon's reply. Solomon replied to God, You showed great and faithful love to David, my father. I know you've made me king in his place. O Lord God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father. Please continue to keep your promise to David, my father. He goes on. For you made me king over people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now give me the wisdom and the knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? Solomon was a wise man. And this answer was wise on a number of different levels. Already the wisdom he was asking for, he already received. Because he knew God's character and God's nature. Look at what he asks for. The first thing he asks for is this. Lord, keep your promise to my father David. Immediately he had God on a strong point. That is because God always keeps his promises. Most of his promises are conditional. But here Solomon says, keep your promise to my father David. God loves to keep his promises. This is exactly what God intended and God wanted to do. So immediately he sends his appeal for what he wants to what it is that God would want to do and what his nature would do anyway. The second thing he says to him is, give me the wisdom and the knowledge to lead them properly. Why would that be a wise answer? Simply this, God had always promised that he would care for his people and he would send caring shepherds for his people. And Solomon is asking God to do what God had already committed to do anyway and that was to take care for them and to watch over them and to really actually be their king even though Solomon was their physical king. God really always intended that he would be their king. And so Solomon comes to God on these two thrones and asks these two incredibly wise requests. He doesn't give a trick answer. He doesn't look after number one. But he does what he knows in his heart God would do anyway to keep his promise and look after his people. Here's God's response. God said to Solomon, 
because your greatest desire is to help your people and you did not ask for wealth or riches or fame or even the death of your enemies which it would appear by this response of God was considered to be a reasonable answer. Wealth, riches, fame, long life, and death of your enemies. These all would have been great answers if you take God's answer at face value. He says, Our long life yourself, but rather you ask for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people, I will certainly give you the wisdom and the knowledge you have requested. God honors the request and notes that Solomon hasn't looked out just for his own well-being or his own easy life, but he notes that Solomon has a heart for other people. And that's the key to understanding God's ongoing response to this prayer. He says, I know that you didn't kind of want your enemies dead, or that you didn't want to be famous or rich or live long yourself. No, I'm sure that Solomon did want to be famous and did want to be rich, though he was rich anyway, and did want long life, and probably did want the death of his enemies. That's another, another day's work. But then God goes on to say this, but I will also give you wealth and riches and fame such as no king has had before you or will ever have in the future. God is going to bless some beyond the imaginings of anybody. You will be the most blessed. You will be the richest and the most famous king. No king of Israel will ever have the fame, the wealth, and the influence that you will have, Solomon. That's what God's response was to him. And I find it interesting that God grants these things to Solomon on foot, on foot of his original request, which was to actually have God given wisdom and God given knowledge and so on and so forth to lead his people. He put God's requests first and then secondarily experienced his request. You see, it comes down to this, when we get the first things first, right in our lives, God tends to look after all of the other things. It is for us to sometimes go on a journey and say, what is it that I truly, deeply want? What's the desire beneath the desire, beneath the desire that's going on and is at work in my life? That's an important question to ask. And sometimes we have to get the first things first. Here is it in the New Testament coming from Jesus. Here is what Jesus says in the New Testament. This is in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. You know it very well. Here's what he says. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The context here is that Jesus is talking about worry and fear over being able to eat or being able to drink or what we're going to wear. And Jesus says, don't be worried about all that crack. That's not important. Don't worry about that. Your Father in heaven looks after that. But you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all that other stuff gets added to you as well. However, I'm a human being and you're a human being. And human beings have been reading this passage of scripture for millennia, literally now. And very often the emphasis falls on part two rather than on part one. We read this verse and we get to the, and all these things will be given to you as well. We become more focused on the blessing than on the blesser. More focused on the benefits than on the benefactor himself. When Jesus says this, this is almost, this is taking the, the Psalm-like principle from the Old Testament where he asks for God to continue his promise and to give him wisdom. Jesus translated here, says, here, if you get the first things first right in your life, then God looks after all of the other things. It's a bit like Jesus uses the example all the time of parents and children and fathers and sons and so on and so forth. It's a bit like this. 
Solomon asked God for what it was that God wanted to give him anyway. And that's the plain truth. It's the same as a parent. When I when I was a parent, when I when I when my kids were small, they're all getting a bit too big to be asking stuff. No, but when they were small, if they asked me for something I wanted to give them anyway, well that was a perfect deal. If they were smart enough, they'd ask me for something that I really wanted to give them anyway. We'll give you examples another time. But if they were smart enough, they'd ask that. But if they wanted to get on the wrong side of me, they'd ask for something they know I wasn't going to give them. I mean, when a child comes up here and says, Mommy, 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 can I please have more vegetables? Of course, the parents are fantastic. That's great. I'd love to give you more vegetables. And of course, the parent will always give to the child what it is that is good for the child. And that's something that we need to remember in our dealings with God. And that's that he'll give to us what is good for us. He will put in our lives what is good for us and what will do us well. They will give us and God will give us what is best. But you know, the scripture tells us quite clearly that the promise that God made to Solomon, ask and I will give it to you, which is quite an open-ended promise, an incredible promise when you think about it. It's also there in the New Testament. I'm going to go to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, the Apostle John who had actually walked with Jesus. Who would walk with Jesus. This is what he writes. He said, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. Maybe that's a bit of a hint in the way that we should be asking. He goes on to say this, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. This is an incredible statement in the New Testament, especially in John. John, John who would end up not being a martyr, but end up being an exile to Jesus, somebody who would walk close to them. This is the confidence. If we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us and that he'll give it to us. This is an incredible New Testament promise, and that's true for your life too. No, let me ask you very quickly. Here's some prayers that we pray here all the time. Of prayers. I pray them, Tom prays them, you pray them, I'm sure. We pray for three things, I do and Allah. I pray for God's provision, and for God's protection, and for God's peace, or even God's presence. You can have another P if you want to. Are those prayers legitimate prayers? Well, yes, of course they are, because they're all entirely biblical. We know that God will provide for his people, would anyone say amen? amen? God is our provider and he is in heaven. We also know about his protection. Jesus said that we should pray in the prayer known as the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. Protect us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. You can put in your own translation. But that's what he says. It's a prayer for the protection of the saints. You can know God's protection in your everyday. Would anyone say amen? Amen. Well, that's going to one more in a second. What about peace? We pray for peace. Now, I'm not talking about praying for world peace. Because Jesus did said, he said, I haven't come to bring peace for the sword. He hasn't come to bring world peace. That will come in the second coming of Jesus Christ. When justice is done, when there is justice done, then there will be peace. But no justice, no peace. Where have I heard that recently? Anyway, if, when justice is done, there will be peace. But peace in our lives, peace in our minds, peace in our hearts. What does Paul say? The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's there in Philippians chapter 4. So when we pray those things, we are praying in accordance with God's will. The New Testament is overflowing with incredible promises, specifically 
from the words of Jesus. And they want to ask you again, what do you want? Because here's what Jesus says about those who ask. He says, keep on asking and you will receive. He says, what you ask for, keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. And he goes on to say, for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And that's the important message that I'd love you to get today, if you can tune in. When Jesus says, what do you want? When God says to you, what do you remember this? That if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. And I love it. Here's the word, everyone. Everyone who asks, receives. Not, not the other person. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. What door? Are you knocking on? What are you asking for? What are you seeking? Because if what Jesus is saying is true, everyone who does these things will receive something in return. But when we do so, are we asking in accordance with God's will? You see, when Solomon came to the throne and he became rich, and he became wise, and he became the greatest king that that nation ever had. He expanded their territory, enriched them socially, enriched the nation economically, and in every way. That's how he started. He started so well. He had it so right at the very start. He just seemed to get it right on the nail. But when you get to the other end of his life, things definitely go off. Or at a minimum, he went through a very severe spiritual trough in the middle or towards the end of his life. You can read it in 1 Kings chapter 11. You can read the story yourself of what happened to Solomon. That his heart turned away. He didn't, he didn't follow the Lord anymore. He had loads of wives. He had thousand wives. I mean, what's that like? His head on And he had, he had thousand wives, right? And, and these wives then got him to worship their gods. And he started worshiping the asterisks and the baths. And his heart turned away from God. It's not how you start. It's how you finish that comes. Amen. You see, lots of people I know get a great start in life. They can get a great spiritual start, a great economic, a great social start. And it doesn't matter. Even if you look at your own life now and say, oh, look what condition I'm in. It's not where you are now. It's where you're going to be, brothers and sisters. That's what comes. Not where you start, but how you finish your race. That's what comes. And when we look at Solomon, he got off to such an incredible start. What a going life when he didn't sustain it. It didn't continue for him in his life. In actual fact, Jesus actually mentions Solomon. He mentions Solomon in Matthew's Gospel. It's a quote I have here. And he, he says something to the he says something to those who are listening. He's listening to the Pharisees and the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are following their own and the political leaders and the and the spiritual leaders of the time are following their own. And he says, you know, you know, in the day of judgment, in the day of judgment, the Queen of Sheba is going to be, you know the Queen of Sheba? The Queen of Sheba, reading about it yourself in Kings, or in 1 Chronicles chapter 9. The Queen of Sheba is going to stand up because she came from the ends of the earth to hear what Solomon had to say. She made the effort to find out what it was was going on in Solomon's life. She made the effort to seek of that wisdom. And then Jesus says something very stirring, and to those who listen to him, something very stunning. He said, Now someone greater than Solomon, what? Who do you think you are? Is here 
Will you refuse to listen, he said to them. Someone greater than Solomon. And they looked up to Solomon as being the guy who expanded their nation. He was the poster boy of their operation. And Jesus said, but someone greater than Solomon is here. And they looked at him and said, what? Who do you think you are? You're a builder, boy. You're a builder from Nazareth. Who do you think you are? You think you're greater than Solomon. Aha, hallelujah. But he is greater than Solomon. How is he greater than Solomon? Very briefly, he's greater in wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 says, Paul says, Jesus is the wisdom and the power of God. He himself incorporates wisdom. He was wiser than Solomon in every way. If you read the answers he gives to the questions he was asked, he was wiser in his thoughts. He was wiser in the things that he said. It's interesting to note that when you read in, in 1 Chronicles, you read the story, and you can read it as well in Kings, you read the story of Solomon, there's actually really only one exact clear example of his wisdom, and you can look that up, but Jesus was full of wisdom, he was full of wisdom, he was greater in wisdom, he was greater in worship, we read that at the, uh, first of all in the incident we read just there in 1, in, in 1 Chronicles, that Solomon sacrificed loads of sheep and cattle and goats at Gibeon, and then afterwards when he built the temple, he sacrificed thousands of sheep and goats, it's a vegetarian nightmare, and he, he sacrificed thousands and thousands of animals, but Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice. His worship was much greater than that of Solomon. He goes on to say this, he was greater in wealth. Philippians 4.19 says, my God will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Solomon sacrificed cattle, Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What anyone say? Amen. Amen. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? He goes on to say this. He was greater in works. The things that Jesus did were greater. Now Solomon built a temple. He built an amazing palace. He built cities. He was just an amazing man. An amazing builder. But Jesus, everything, nothing has been made that has been made except through him, writes John in John 1, chapter 3. And if Solomon had the wisdom to ask God, at the start of his kingship, when God said to him, what do you want? If he had the wisdom to ask in accordance with God's will, shouldn't we also have that wisdom? Shouldn't we be at least as wise as Solomon and say, Lord, I want what you want. Now let me dig down. You see, if you say to me, what do you want? I'm reminded of my mother's request every Christmas, just a bit of peace. Yeah, she just wanted a bit of peace. She had loads of kids. She had nine children. So a bit of peace went down very, very well. But if you ask me, what is it that you want? I have to go down through the levels of my desires and see what's really beneath it. What's the significant, what's the most important prayer of my life? If you know anything about me, you'll already know what the most important prayer of my life is. But I want to say that question and that answer of God also has a prophetic significance. And it's like this. Many, many years ago, my wife was applying to go to college. And she had to go for an interview to go to college. But she went as a mature student. After the kids were born, she went back to college. And she went for an interview at what is now NTU, but it was then CIT, Monster Technological University. She went out there for an interview. It was interviewed by the panel to get onto the course that she had applied for. And the day that she was doing that, I was praying for her, as I would do it. You know, I wanted her to get the course. I was praying, and as I read, I actually read the passage from 1 Chronicles, 
And the Lord spoke to me prophetically and said, I will give you what you have asked for. And I knew there and then that my wife was going to get favor. I knew Eleanor was going to get favor. I knew that she was going to get into the course. But something funny happened. And it was this. When the actual results from the CAO, the Central Applications Office, came to my wife in late August, she opened the envelope and they told her that she didn't get the course. And I was confused. I said, Mark, I was certain. I heard your voice that you, she was to get the course. And I noticed she's told that she gets no course and she got no offer from the CAO. Well, if you know Elma, I was probably prepared to accept the letter, God forgive me, but Elma wasn't taking no for an answer. So she picked up the phone to the, to the guy who was running the course in CIT and said, here's the gig. I applied for this course, I had the points, I did the interview, and I just heard a letter, just got a letter to say that I didn't get the course. Now listen to this. What the guy said was this. He said, Ms. O'Donnell, or Elma, because they were on first name terms, it turns out, said, Elma, you got it wrong. Many people think that the CAO, the Central's Application Office, is God. But the CAO is not God. And that was an unbeliever saying to my wife that people have this view of God of this application system and he had to tell Emma, my wife, that CAO was not God. Uh, hello Jim, we know that the CAO is not God. And she had actually gotten the course, but there had been a glitch in the administrative system. I want to put it out there for you today. Some of you, even today, have poured out your souls for a prayer. Is it possible that you're hearing a prophetic voice here to say, you will receive what you have asked for? Why do we see God giving, giving, giving? Well, it's in his nature. God is, by his very nature, generous. God is a generous God. Would anyone say amen? amen? If anybody out there has experienced the generosity of God, you can give us a thumbs up or you can give us an amen. If you know what it's like to experience God's generosity in your life, testify about it. Tell us about it. Give us an amen. Give us a thumbs up. I love the definition of, of generous. This is a fabulous gender. It says, free in giving or sharing, noble, open-handed, open-handed. Synonymous with open-handed. And God appears to Solomon and he says, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Ask, and I will give it to you. But ask for what is at the bottom of your desires. Today, God is speaking to you. And he's saying, Ask me what it is that you want. What is the prayer beneath the prayers? What is the desire beneath the desires? What is the most important thing to you in your life? Ask, what is it that you want? I love when Paul writes in the New Testament. Here it is in Romans. And he talks about the generosity of God. You see, I want to come back to an original thought in this. And that is that when, when God asked Solomon's question, it was not a trick question. He really wanted to know what Solomon wanted. He really wanted to know. It wasn't a trick. It wasn't a, ask Solomon, you've given me and so therefore I'm going to give you. It wasn't some kind of bargain. It wasn't some form of superstition. It was God's generous and open-handed blessing to sustain the promise that he had made. I love when Paul writes this. Romans. He said, who has ever given to God that he should repay them? Look what he says. 
He says, but from him and through him and for him are all things. For from him and through him and for him are all things. What we give to God, he gave to us first anyway. This is what David wrote when he was preparing the materials for the temple for Solomon. And he said, Lord, all we give to you is what you have given to us in the first place. Because you are a generous, generous God. He finishes off by saying to him, the glory forever. Amen. Solomon fixed his eyes on God's generosity. Paul fixed his eyes on God's generosity. David fixed his eyes on God's generosity. Today I'm calling on us to look to God's generosity and to look to his promise. Ask, he said, and you will receive. Seek, he said, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Let me ask you again. What do you want? And normally, when, when, I, when I speak, I like to give a straight answer. It, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a preaching thing that we, we try to get answers, but I want to leave you today, in essence, with a question for you to take into the coming week when you take the opportunity. And I just want to say to you take the opportunity to get into the presence of God. I said it a few weeks ago, 15 minutes a day is when you catch. 15 minutes face to face with someone is, is the, the standard for getting COVID-19. Spend time in the presence of God this week alone. But ask yourself, while you're there, before you're there, reflect on it. What do you want? What is the desire beneath the desire? And begin to see what's going on inside there. Maybe you did take out a piece of paper. Maybe you didn't. You probably didn't. That's okay if you didn't. But I want to ask you one last thing. What do you want? That's God's question to you today. That's my question to you today. That's the scripture's question to you today. That is Jesus' question to you today. The one who is greater than Solomon is asking you today, what do you want? The one with greater wisdom, greater wealth, greater works, and greater worship is asking you, what do you want? And like I said, if you know me at all, you know what my prayer and the prayer of my life in my heart has been. And I know for many of you, because I've had so many conversations with you, I know what's going on in your souls and in your lives, and I know the prayers. I suppose maybe I specifically know the prayers of what it's like to be a parent and want the very, very best for your children, even when your children don't choose the very, very best for themselves. So that's where my heart would be. But beneath all of that is my prayer to experience heaven experience God's presence face to face. I love when David says, one thing I ask and I would seek, and that is to see your beauty or to live near the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Praise God. And that's the prayer that I want to offer you today as we close. That we would finish our race well and that we would finish and do right as we finish. Let's just pray. You bow your heads just for a moment and pray very, very, very briefly. Lord, I thank you for the template that we have in your word. I thank you, Lord, that for some of us today, this is a rhema message that even today, what's on our hearts and our minds, God is saying, I will give you what you have asked for. For all of us, Lord, it's to take away and to concentrate and reflect on what is it that we want 
of you? What is the desire beneath the desire? What is the prayer beneath the prayer beneath the prayer in our life? Lord, I pray that this week we would have the wisdom to reflect on these matters, to think clearly in your presence, Lord. Lord, I bring before you the requests that are obvious to so many know. Lord, would you move? As we ask of you, will you give us, Lord? As we seek you, Lord, may we find you, Lord. As we knock on the door, Lord, may it be open to us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Take the question. Find the answer yourself. But get into God's presence above all else.